for that kind introduction. It is a real pleasure to be here this evening. I love Theology on Tap, but I'm usually sitting where all of you are sitting, and I'm not here up at the front. But I'm really happy to be up here to talk about a topic that I really care about, being a missionary in a distracted world, both at home and abroad. At Franciscan Mission Service, this is what we are all about, is supporting young people, and sometimes people who are in other stages of their lives, uh, who have this heart for service. And that heart for service, that call that they feel to service, might keep them here in the US. It might take them to other parts of the world. Um, and it might mean that they're just connecting with this spirit of mission from their own homes, never leaving their families. We have a wonderful blog that our missionaries and our volunteers write, and sometimes that is, that is as much as a person can do to connect with mission. So in a little bit, you'll have a chance to actually hear from some of our DC-based volunteers and one of our missionaries based in Guatemala who's on home leave, and I'll introduce them or let them introduce themselves in a few minutes. But before we hear from them, I'd like to focus on all of you by asking a question, a little reflection question. And to answer this question, if you feel comfortable doing it, I'd like you to close your eyes. I know that can feel really awkward in a room full of people, but take a second and close your eyes. And do a little mental review of your day. It doesn't have to be long. And as you review your day, ask yourself this question. Did I minister to someone today? Did I minister to someone today? And if you can say yes, while keeping your eyes closed, I'd like you to raise your hand. I don't want this to be a competition. Raise your hand if you feel like you ministered to someone today. Okay, great, thanks. You can go ahead and open your eyes. So, I didn't count, but it seems like Definitely less than half the room feels like they ministered to someone today. And some of those hands are raised maybe with a little hesitance or a little, oh, I'm, not, I'm not sure. I didn't really see anybody who was like, yes, I ministered to someone today. Um, now, I'll ask a couple more questions. Raise your hand with your eyes open if you consider yourself a Christian. All right, keep your hands raised if you can get more specific and you consider yourself a Catholic. Wow, look at that. We're at a Catholic young adult event and there is a room full of Catholic young adults. I'm just so surprised. No, I'm really not. But gosh, look at that. Such a difference between the number of you who raise your hands to say that you're Christian and Catholic and the number of people who raise their hands to say that they ministered to someone today. Why is that? Well, maybe it's because some of you sit in front of a computer all day. Maybe you're in a cubicle. Maybe you're in a windowless office in that cubicle. That used to be me. Maybe you don't have a lot of opportunities for meaningful interaction with people during the day. Yeah, I, I get that. I really used to be there. So maybe that's one reason why there was a great difference in the number of people who raised their hands for those questions. Maybe another reason is that you work in an environment that kind of feels hostile to faith, or, or if it's not hostile, you don't feel like you can necessarily be a person of faith in that environment. 
Yeah, I, I get that too. I used to work in government, and there were some people that I knew they were people of faith, and I could have some deeper conversations with them, but in general, we were all about business, getting business done in our cubicles in our windowless office. Now, maybe some of you save service and ministry for the weekends or evenings when you're not at Theology on Tap, and you have some more free time to give to a soup kitchen or to a nursing home or to a crisis pregnancy center or your church or people in your own family that need some ministering too. So maybe that's another reason why there's that great difference in the number of people who raise their hands. But I wonder if another reason is because our definition of ministry is too limited. And combined with the fact that we might be missing some opportunities to minister to the people around us in our daily lives. All too often, we relegate ministry to priests or sisters or lay people working in our church um, or to full-time volunteers, like this wonderful group I brought with me tonight. We say, well, those are the people who are doing ministry, and I, you know, I'm just a software engineer, or you know, I work in HR, or I'm an X-ray technician, or I'm looking for work, I'm unemployed, I, all I have time to do is find a job. So I, I get that. And the people who, who's, who have minister in their title, or who are explicitly working in the church, certainly those people are doing ministry. But if they are the only ones who can do ministry on a regular basis, maybe we should just throw the towel and say we're not Catholic anymore. Because to be Catholic, to embrace this as our faith, includes this call to serve others. Now, we're obviously not called to serve in equally in the same ways. Some people are called to family life, and they minister within their families. And they have a lot of children, and the thought of getting out to volunteer to Sioux Christian is just not going to happen. Or to go overseas for mission for two years, it's not going to happen. All right. So I'm not saying the call is going to look the same. And that's really one of the, the points of this talk tonight, is providing an opportunity for people to begin to reflect on what ministry could look like in their own lives. And I'd like to provide maybe a pathway forward which is to bring up this topic that we talk a lot about at FMS, Franciscan Mission Service, which is ministry of presence. Ministry of presence is based on the idea that sometimes the greatest gift we can offer another person is the gift of just being, being with them, and vice versa. Sometimes the greatest gift that we receive from another person it's just them being with us, not distracted. This is where the distracted part comes in. We do live in a pretty distracted world. We have lots of ways to, to divert our attention. Even within you know, just a few minutes' time, we can skip from one thing to another, and while we're driving in our cars, we have a lot of opportunities to be distracted, which means we might be missing opportunities to really be present. I'd like to bring us home a little bit to a couple personal examples from my own life, life before I bring up our wonderful volunteers. Because um, Ministry of Presidents might be thinking, okay, well that sounds nice. I tell 
a little unglamorous too. You know, it's it like, well, can that is that really legitimate? Just sort of being with another person. And I really think it can be because of some of the experiences I've had in my own life. When I was in my early 20s, my senior year of college, I went home for Christmas break, had a nice Christmas with my family, and the next day, December 26th, my father died, totally unexpectedly. It was really the last thing that I thought was going to happen on that Christmas break. And there was nothing that anybody could do to fix it. I knew that I was going to have this road of grief ahead. No one was going to be able to bring back my father. I just, just hurt inside. If you've lost somebody, you know what this feels like. It's this it's a terrible aching. Even as you, you know, have this sense that they're in heaven, they're in a better place, that doesn't really take the pain away in the moment. And what I valued most at that point were the friends who could really just be with me. The ones who were able to sit with this discomfort of having a friend who had gone through something really hard and who could just be with me. Because there were some people who couldn't really sit with that. They couldn't just be. They felt like they had to say something. They were trying to do good, but sometimes there was too much talk. Or sometimes the, the onus was put on me. It was like, well, you call me if you need me. See you later. But the people who could sit with me, and one friend in particular, I remember going over to her house, and we just sat on her couch, and I just cried. And she sat with me. And her dog sat with me, too. <laughs> it was, her dog was, was like, wow, this dog knows Mr. Friends. Her dog was bothering us. Most of the time, we were just sitting on the couch until my friend said, okay, Addie, come and get up on the couch. And Addie just sat and was still. That was so incredibly comforting. So I've also been on the other side of this ministry of presence, not just the one receiving, but the one who um, either has intentionally tried to give or sometimes found myself in a, a situation where I realized, oh, wow, like maybe, maybe I just need to be with this person. It's actually just happened, recent examples, just a couple days ago, I was walking up to the Whole Foods in Silver Spring after a dance class I was at, and there was a man sitting on a bench, and I think he was, he was probably homeless. He was asking for, for money, and, and I walked by him, and I said, I'm sorry, I can't help. And then I felt that, you know, that feeling in your stomach, you're like, what should I do? Like, I feel like I should do something. I don't really know what to do. So as I was walking into Whole Foods, I was like, you know, I, it's like breakfast time. You know, I'm gonna get him something to eat. And so I went to like, the bakery section, picked out some things that I thought looked good, and I brought them out to him. Uh, and I said, would you like a muffin and some scones? And he said, oh, I'm sorry, I'm diabetic. I was like, <laughs> okay. Um, and so, you know, my initial thought was, all right, plan is thwarted. I, I tried to, to minister to someone else, and, and now, I, now I just have to eat these baked goods myself. Or maybe I should go find someone who's homeless and not diabetic. And I was like, this is crazy. <laughs> like, this is crazy. You know, and this man had already started to talk with me. John was his name. Sorry, I'm calling him the man. But he introduced himself at the end. I introduced myself too. And, you know, I thought, I 
because I don't think what God wants for me now, even though, you know, in the Bible it says to feed the hungry, I don't actually think that what I'm called to do right now is to go find a non-diabetic person to give these things to. I think maybe what I'm called to is to actually just chat for a little bit with John. And so I did. And so at the end of that, then I was like, wow, all right, ministry of presence. Again, not, and it's not that, you know, I'm, I'm so amazing and gave this, like, I'm the only one who gave this fantastic gift of my presence to this other person. But, you know, it was this moment, I, I felt this invitation to be and to talk. And I accepted. And I like to think it made a little bit of a difference in his day. And so this is what ministry, a couple examples of what ministry of presence has meant in my life. And this is where I'm going to bring our volunteers up here. Um, they're not only going to talk about ministry of presence, they have some other reflections on service that I hope can kind of open a doorway for you to think about what service might look like in your own lives. So, come on up, guys.
My name is Allie Setmanet. I am from Houston, Texas. I am the second oldest of nine kids. I have seven brothers. Um, I am a DC Service Corps member, so I serve at the Father McKenna Center, which is uh, a service for homeless men. It's right by Union Station. Uh, so the seven brothers definitely gave me the experience I need, I feel like. Uh, anyway, I run the clothing program, the mailing program, and uh, the computer lab there. Um, and we're really just there to help and accompany the men in getting back on their feet or whatever help they need. And we offer case management um, and things like that. And uh, frequently send them to the Department of Mental Health and, and just really try to get the men back up on their feet. So that is what I am doing. <laughs> so recently I was listening to a reflection, it's like a podcast, and this woman was talking about this thing called somebody else syndrome, where you think that you maybe feel a call to do something, or you feel an interest in something, and you go, oh no, like you rationalize, you say, well, someone else can do that, or that's really not me. Um, but everyone up on this stage this evening um, decided that they would reject somebody else's sim syndrome. They felt this interest in service, a call. It probably looked a little bit different for every person. Um, but they said yes. And so the question for, that I have them kind of reflect on is, what went into your decision to do, um, in the case of DC Service Corps, a year of full-time service, and then Amanda, in your case, to initially commit to two years overseas, and Amanda's recently renewed for a third year with us. Okay, um, so I went to school, like, my last two years at Dickinson College in Pennsylvania, and we had, like, one of our spring breaks, we had, like, an open plunge right in D.C., in Southeast D.C., and I'm from D.C., so I know, like, about that area. Like, if you have been to D.C., like, Southeast D.C. is, like, the area where no one wants to go to. You know, it's, like, one of the most dangerous places in D.C., and, you know, so there are not, like, many people, like, college students coming there to, like, do volunteer service. But we went there, one of my favorite experiences was when they, like, sent us out one day, and, like, we were in the group, like, my friend and I, and they gave us, like, one dollar each to spend the whole day. And so it was pretty much, like, us going, taking the bus and just going around, just walking and, like, trying to talk to people, to know the area, just, like, understand the people and, like, you know, what are their needs and, like, how are they living. And so we ended up, like, eating at the soup kitchen for, like, lunch at the uh, Missionaries of Charity's house. And we, while sitting and eating on the floor, we had to talk with them. And it's just my experience being there, noticing that right here in D.C., they need help. Like, I don't have to do a year of service, like, in a different town or like out of the country, like I couldn't go because you know I don't have like my citizenship yet, so I can't travel out of the country. So it's like I don't have to limit myself to like going somewhere else to do service. I could do something right here in DC, and so that was when I decided to like do my own service in DC, like serving the people over here that I've lived with for the past five years. Yeah, what brought me here was an experience I had in college uh, when I first got to school. I wanted to. 100k job and just wanted to basically make as much money as possible and then my sophomore year I needed to take one extra hour and for some reason I signed up with this class called Poverty in Waco which is the town where I went to school. Um, in the class they they really tried to have you kind of 
to see poverty from all different levels, so like rural, urban, um, homelessness, all, all different types. And um, one of the parts of the class was you had to do volunteer work. And I remember I volunteered at Mission Waco at their after school program. And the first day uh, they asked me if I'd help this girl with her homework. And she was the oldest girl there, usually it went K through six, but she was in seventh grade. And she, I remember she did her math perfectly. Like she was really good. I was like, oh wow, that's pretty impressive. And then they're like, I'll help her with a reading homework. And she pulled out maybe a book that I would say I'd probably read in first grade, and she couldn't read it. And I remember, that was my first day there, and I just remember being like awestruck. Like, I remember going home, I called my mom, I was like, you know, what, I, what, what is this? You know, like, this girl's in seventh grade and can barely read. And then we also had to spend a weekend living uh, on, as a homeless person. And one of the things they had you do that weekend was go interact with the homeless person. And I remember uh, we met someone and we were talking to him and we were just asking him questions and he told us that he could not remember the last time he heard someone say his name. And I just remember, I mean, that was something I never thought about and just like how impactful that was, like people saying my name all the time. He's like, yeah, it's been months at least. And then I remember another part of that weekend was, you know, they asked you to go find food. And the only person that helped us find food that weekend was a homeless person. He offered to buy us a McDonald's. And I remember just being so taken aback by that, like, you know, like there's all these people who are like, oh, no, you know, whatever, you know, you'll, you'll figure it out. And here's this guy who has nothing, and he wanted to help us. And so it was, it was that class for sure that it changed me from just wanting the job to now. I want to dedicate my life, you know, to helping other people. Um, for me, um, if you ask my mom, she'll tell you that she knew when I was in like middle school that this is what I was destined to do. So I guess our moms have good intuition. Um, but I guess for me, it started when I was in high school. I did a lot of um, urban experiences in Baltimore City, um, working with different organizations there. Um, and started to kind of be really interested in Latin American culture um, and had this really strong desire to one day learn Spanish. Um, I took French for seven years, so that did me no good for my time in Guatemala. Um, but after high school, um, I knew that I wanted to study theology in, in university. Um, and at CUA, I took some classes on the theology of mission. So what does it mean to be a missionary? What does it mean to be called to be missionary disciples? Um, and that was like the first time for me that I knew that I was like called to be doing something, to be on mission. Um, and I think that we all have to kind of define that for ourselves and what that means. Um, but for me that meant doing something international, um, to going abroad and experiencing something completely outside of my comfort zone, um, experiencing a new place, um, a new culture, a new people, a new language. Um, so that for me was kind of like the seed that was planted. Um, in, in college, I volunteered with a lot of different mission organizations and different programs that led me to FMS. So um, it kind of started in high school and then I gradually went along uh, throughout my time in college. Um, for me, I guess it wasn't as clear that I have always wanted to do a year of service. I graduated from University of Dallas with a theater degree. So I took maybe one pastoral ministry class, but St. Therese of Lisieux is my patron saint, and she was really into wanting to do mission service, but she became a Carmelite. So for the longest time, I wanted to become a Carmelite nun and pray for everyone, and then some part of me was like, oh, I can actually go do something, because she did all the praying, and you know, we have this like 
I don't know, like sisterly romance. And I just felt I got to go to the Sioux. I studied abroad in Rome, and I went to the Sioux. And her favorite flower is the rose, obviously. Like everyone plays the same trace of the Sioux for a flower. Um, and my favorite flower is stargazer lilies. And it's just the smallest thing, but I walk into her house, and she had an interior conversion when she was 13 years old. And I walked into the room where she had this interior conversion. And instead of roses, which are everywhere in the Sioux, by the way, the whole place smells like roses, there's this huge bouquet of stargazer lilies. And I was like, excuse me, St. Therese, those are not your flowers, those are mine. And just, I think it was then, uh, that was sophomore year of college, that I uh, still wanted to do a year of service. And uh, I am really interested in people and the commonality in people and more of our similarities and less of our differences. Um, and I applied to many different, I was that crazy person that I, I looked at, I think, 10 different service programs. I almost did the Jesuit Volunteer Corps service. I didn't even decide on FMS until uh, July. But, and I was supposed to do another program in FMS and ended up at the Father McKenna Center, but I can, like, just being at the Father McKenna Center and with the team I'm on, I know I'm supposed to be there. I don't know like how it's going to initially affect me in the end, but I know right now that that's where I'm supposed to be. So. So you can see the call looks a little different for each person. And I love the fact that each of our volunteers, although two of them are from Texas. How do we end up with this Texas crowd? I don't, I don't know. Um, no, I like Texas. Um, but still, everyone comes from a different background, and and no one quite knows exactly where they're headed after this year. But they still said yes. So my next question, see, they know these from the car, but the next question is about Ministry of Service. Um, some of you, I know, feel like Ministry of Service really or it plays a, an important role in, uh, sorry, Ministry of Presence, what am I saying? Not service. Ministry of Presence is a really important part of the work that you do. And then for others, it's still a little bit unclear. Like, your work is, is really, uh, feels a bit more action-oriented each day. But for those of you who um, really experience Ministry of Presence, would you like to share a little bit? I think, Amanda, you might want to go first. Um, so Ministry of Presence is really a part of every single thing that I do. Um, so I primarily work with the age group at our boarding school, first through sixth graders. So between the ages of like six and, and 14. Um, and Ministry of Presence, I think, with that age group is really just spending time with them and being there for them. Um, I don't do a lot of, I don't have to do a lot of talking, um, which is sometimes is really good. And I learned a lot about ministry of presence over the past two years. Um, that really it doesn't take a lot of, a lot of talking. I'm not called to fix. I'm not called to solve their problems. Um, I've been really lucky to build a, a lasting relationship with the kids that I work with. Um, so I guess maybe this is a lot of storytelling for me. Um, one of the first kids that I met there, his name is Jorge the sweetest little boy and really like latched onto me really fast, but he once said to me, he said, Amanda, I didn't trust you when you first got here. I said, why, why Jorge? Like, why wouldn't you trust me? He said, well, every person in my life has walked out on me. My parents abandoned me all the time. I don't have a lot of friends. Like there's not, there's no one who has stuck around for me. 
and I couldn't trust you until I knew that you were going to stick around. Um, so I was able to build a lot of trust with him, and that's kind of for me where ministry presence started, um, was to build trust with these kids and to let them know that I'm there for them. Um, they have parents who leave them all the time, who abandon them um, to do drugs or to go work in the gangs, um, or they're sexually abused by their parents. Um, so letting them know that I would always be there for them was the first way that I could begin my ministry of presence. Um, and I think that the best thing about ministry of presence is by being present to someone, we then get to show them not only do we love them, but that God loves them also. Um, and that's like a small, like a small way to kind of build that presence. Um, so for me, I think my favorite thing about ministry of presence is that I get to work in a in a, a place where I also live. So I live on campus with these 215 kids. Um, and recently, this past year, I started tucking the boys in um, for bed. Um, and for me, that was kind of, it started on a reflection of what were the most important parts of my childhood. Um, and just remembering um, the nights where my parents would tuck me into bed, they would kiss me goodnight, and we would pray together. Um, really, is the foundation of who I am today. Um, just like knowing that my parents gave me this gift to like say, I love you. Um, and something so simple like that. Um, so it was a tradition that I wanted to pass on to the to the boys that I work with. Um, so I started going over to their dorm room every night, and we would pray together, and we would sit and talk about our days. And then I would tuck them in to their beds, um, roll them up in their blankets like burritos. Um, and we would just talk together, and um, I would kiss them goodnight on the foreheads and then tell them that I love them. Um, and one night I was talking to the youngest boy, he's six, his name is Jose David, um, and he said, Amanda, like, thank, thank you for being here. I said, Jose, like, yeah, like, I love you, like, this is, like, so normal, like, I come here every night. And he said, no, like, my mom abandons me. Um, and I'm just, like, sitting there and I'm like, okay, this is a six-year-old who knows what it means to be abandoned. Um, and without having to ask any questions or to pry and try to get some more information out of him or to try to say, oh, it'll be okay one day, like maybe she won't. Like I don't have to fix anything, I don't have to solve this huge thing in his life. Um, I just hugged him and I tickled him um, and put him to bed and, and we prayed together. Um, and in Guatemala, and I think in a lot of Latin American countries, they have the same que sueño con los angelitos, which just means like to dream with the angels. Um, so I whispered that into his ear. He said, y con Dios y María, with, with Jesus and and Mary also. So just like this like little act um, of being able to tuck these kids in at night, to be present to them, to be there, um, was a way for me to show that I love them. Um, not have to say anything, um, just by my physical presence and being there. And kind of just going off of what Amanda is saying, I don't have any beautiful stories like that, but um, I realize I... I worked at the Four Seasons this summer, which is a completely different uh, kind of people than the people that I'm working with now, um, just as far as like social status and things like that. But I realized that just like thinking above and beyond what you would normally think of, just being aware and thinking of the little things and just being there or doing those little things for a person can be present to those people and, and mean so much more than you would think of, like opening a door for a lady or letting somebody get on the bus first or uh, making sure that person gets their cell phone charged. You know, at the Four Seasons is the same as like making sure that guy gets his extra role if he, you know, just the 
little thing. And I think that uh, just even we live in a community uh, in Brooklyn, so all the people volunteering in DC, um, we live together, we eat community meals together, but just taking that time out of your day to ask someone how they are or what they're doing or noticing if someone's upset or okay, all of those things um, add up to this ministry of presence, and I think that um, we tend to be really distracted and paying attention to what we're doing, and I'm very much like that. I, I get really into projects, and I've been organizing the clothing closet, but then I forget that I didn't eat lunch or ask my you know coworker how he's doing for the day, and then I realize that like you know, maybe I need to just stop this project and talk to my coworker, is he okay? Does he need help? You know, little things like that. Um, but I, going back to going to school, actually, I think I realized, um, and I was super busy applying to all these things where I was gonna go help people and all this stuff. And um, there's a kid in a play and we were rehearsing and I was the assistant director and he was just so annoying. He was the worst. I mean, he was always late. He would ask all the most, the weirdest questions. He wouldn't memorize his lines and I was so annoyed with him. And uh, I just, I feel like the whole, you know, group, we kind of had this animosity towards him. It was, you know, it was typical drama in the theater. It's, you know, it happens all the time. But, um, what ended up happening is he uh, had to withdraw from college because he suffered with depression and nobody realized that um, this whole time we were just kind of like, oh, what a weird kid. Um, and he would wear Crocs to school every day. It was, anyway. But I ran into him after he had dropped out and then we all like, felt really guilty and I ran into him and I said, um, you know, are you okay? And I realized when I asked him that question that like none of us this entire time, like he probably this entire time had had like nobody asked him if he was okay. And it was the simplest question, but I realized that in that moment he appreciated that so much, and I was able to give him a hug before he like went home and was like, "We'll pray for you, et cetera, et cetera." And he was just so happy that I had like taken the time to talk to him that I was frankly really embarrassed and humiliated with the way we had acted with him. But little things like that, you never know how it's gonna affect anyone. Yeah, I think uh, one of the most interesting parts for me is that while I'm sitting here trying to practice the ministry of presence, like the inverse of that relationship, like at Don Bosco, while I'm sitting there, you know, trying to help kids, whatever, just <laughs> how people are there present for me, how they make me feel, you know, like, one day, someone asked me if I wanted to go to praise and worship. They're having adoration. I was like, sure. And I went in there, and God bless them, they sound terrible. But I mean, like, it, was, it was like one of my favorite experiences that I've had. And you know, like, it's through building that relationship that like I was invited into that. You know, like, if I, like when I showed up the first day of work, like, no student cared who I was. You know, but through building these relationships and just being around, being present for the kids, you know, like I was able to do something like that and experience things like that. And I mean, just the community, how they've accepted me, you know, it showed me ministry of presence. It's been really, really cool. So at my placement, we um, take care of like people who come to the country with refugee or asylee status. 
And I personally came to the United States as an asylee. As so when I meet these people, especially like the, long, the young people who have just come to the country alone or something, I get to like talk with them because I've been in their position before. I mean, I have my family, but it's like most of these people don't know what they're getting into. So I get to talk with them and like ask them about what are their plans for the future? What do they want to get from here? What are their goals? And we just talk and I share my story with them, how I moved from like coming to college to like a four-year school and now I'm like doing service here and it's just, they're all so shocked and surprised that I am here working, but it's like I get to share my story with them and just encourage them in whatever they're doing to just um, continue to pursue the dreams, you know, even though it gets hard that there are people who have made it and that it could be possible for them also. Thanks so much. I want to leave time for all of your questions, um, but I do want to leave you with a final thought before I open it up for questions. Um, and it's, it's something that I've, that's come to mind for me when sometimes I feel like I'm not doing enough myself when it comes to, to being of service and ministering to others. Um, and when I start to think, well, ministry of presence, that's just something to make me feel better about not doing enough. But then I realized, you know, I was thinking, did Jesus practice ministry of presence? And I, you know, all the, these big miracles came to mind for me, the big things that he did with his disciples, for his disciples, and for the people he met. And I began to think, well, gosh, did, did he really practice ministry of presence? And I realized that the Bible, there's so much that's actually not spelled out in detail in the Bible. So many in-between times, between those big, what some people call mountaintop moments, and some of them were literally on mountaintops, all the time that Jesus spent in between, on the road, when he was eating with people, even when he was sleeping, Jesus didn't stop being Jesus. His very being was a gift to the people around him. Now, I'm not going to say that we are Jesus, that just walking into a room is a gift to the people there, but I think when we try to emulate Jesus, we can get a little bit closer to what he, just by his very nature, was to other people. And when we make a choice to stop being distracted and be present, that's when, when our being really can start to minister to others. And when we can start to say, in answer to that question I posed at the beginning, yes, I did minister to someone today. So I will leave it at that. But we do have time for questions. Um, even though I've been talking about ministry of presence and uh, being a missionary in a distracted world, both at home and abroad, um, feel free to ask specific questions about mission too, or to talk with our volunteers, or to me after. If you are interested in going overseas, if you're interested in just knowing more about our organization, doing service in DC, um, we'd be happy to share that information too. Who has a question? One of you can also ask the question that I didn't ask because of time, which is what helps you stay grounded and what's important? You don't have to ask that question, but if someone I want a question to ask, we'll give you that one. You can ask it. For the missionaries working here in D.C., what can people who do have full-time jobs do to get involved with some of the ministries that you guys are doing? 
Don Bosco Christian High School. I mean, we have quite a few volunteers. We have a pretty robust volunteer program. So if you want to get involved, we can use all the help we can get, for sure. So. <laughs> Um, yeah, we have uh, tons of volunteers come to the Father McKenna Center, and especially during the holidays, because I feel like everyone gets all holy during the holidays and they want to do something. Um, but no, I think that Catholic Charities also has a volunteer you know, thing, and you can find volunteer things that you can volunteer every day. Um, I think it's a good thing to do, not to just like feel better about yourself or like you're helping someone, but back to the Ministry of Presence thing, just to get to realize someone's experience uh, experience outside of your own. So I, I think a lot of the volunteers that come every day um, are more benefited themselves than, you know, anything else. But, I mean, we're doing a turkey give-out right now, and without volunteers, it wouldn't happen. So volunteers are always needed, I think, for every program. And I think there are at least five different homeless shelters and things like that in D.C. that take volunteers. I think just for refugees in general, one of the biggest obstacles that we face, because we have, we help them with employment, like to find jobs, one of the biggest problems is like English. So I teach an English class every Tuesday, but that is not enough. So it's like we have job placement for these people, but they can't get a job because they can't speak like minimum English, you know, and that's like really hard for them if they have families. So I think if your parish maybe has like some of these English classes or if you know of like any places that have English classes and maybe you should think about volunteering then you don't have to be like a professional to like I was a teacher like at Montgomery College providing so that's all the experience I have with teaching English but you can definitely do it. So I think there's something that you can look into teaching English to like most of the um, refugees and other people who are looking for jobs. And also if you have if you know like job placements around that you think will accept I mean they have documents there like either refugees or asylees. So they have work permits so if you know like any jobs around that you want to like um reference to us, you can do that too. And also if you want to come in and like help them like do their resumes or like help them practice for interviews, just things like that. Yeah. Who else has a question? <coughs> yeah. I'm, I'm loud enough, I promise. Um, so this is kind of to your question that you didn't ask about being grounded. It's going to be a little different. Um, to you. So service really comes down to humility. And I think personally, I'll say this, I personally struggle with um, service and the fact that we are doing God's work um, and it's others before self. But a lot of times with service, um, it's easy to put yourself first or it seems like you're taking the pride uh, of that service. Um, so how do you guys, I think you guys do deal with that struggle at all, but how, how do you really put others before self and not let pride get in the way, especially when other people say, oh, that's awesome that you're doing this. And makes you kind of feel good about yourself, but again, it's not for yourself, but it's for others. Um, I get a lot of people here in the States, uh, especially, but also in Guatemala, wow, like, we love what you're giving to us, like, what you're doing for our country is so beautiful. Um, and a lot of times I feel weird about that because, like, I don't feel like I'm, I'm doing that much. Um, but for me, a term that I recently learned, actually, um, that has really been a, a huge thing for me on mission is cultural humility. Um, so this understanding that we can never fully understand what someone else's culture is or their background or what they've experienced in their lives. 
So we have to come to them with a humble heart um, to be able to get to know them. And that's kind of like, for me, the root of ministry of presence is that that humble heart. Um, so while ex- accepting the praise is, is important and saying, yeah, like, thank you, like I'm, I'm happy to be here. Um, but remembering that um, we'll never fully understand what they've gone through. And, and, and when we serve others, um, to remember that as, as humble beings and humble people, um, we're, we're, we're doing this out of, out of love and um, out of sharing to, to get to know them better and not, not just for us. And yeah, more after that, like you never know what people have gone through. And I think that people need to realize that in their own lives and even with their own friends. And there can be a lot of room for misunderstanding. And I think, with especially with volunteering, there is that, that kind of savior complex, which at FMS we really try to not have. Um, and that's uh, extremely important because it's really, you don't want to walk on somebody's human dignity because first and foremost, everyone is a person, everyone's a human being, and we all have that in common, no matter what. So if you go in there thinking you're going to save someone, like you are going to end up insulting and hurting people more than helping anyone. Even if you're giving them something for free, you end up hurting their soul, which is in the end more important than, you know, whether they, whether or not they eat lunch that day. And just realizing that you're all humans and just like always being prepared to hear the worst and uh, I mean everybody has their own problems in their own families so remembering your own problems and remembering where you come from and your family and not thinking that you're perfect really helps a lot (laughs) other questions Keeping that in mind that 
there's a reason why you are where you are. Even though you are at a job that is like just being in front of the computer, there's still things I think about the people around you. So we should always think about the people around us first before we're like reaching out far away. So it's just bloom where you're planted and just listening to God's call whenever he talks to you.
and that was why it says Gong So it can't make organization, you know, because like I'm applying to medical school and like that part of my life would be very toxic, you know. And so I'm just using this time just to spend more time in prayer and that's exactly what I'm doing throughout this one year. Like I leave like ten minutes away from our community house, you know, but it's like this was intentional. I really want to spend more time with God. So it's just learning how to live with people who are like different from me but we all have the same goal, you know. So for me it's just um spending more time with God and just trying to use my gifts in a way that I can benefit other people. Like I decided to buy to volunteer to buy like an advent reflection for like the Catholic volunteer network. So it's like using my gifts of writing to like help other people um get close to God during this time. So for me that was one of the main reasons why I decided to take a year of service to like try to work on my relationship as I create myself for like the next step of my life. Yeah, so far my time's definitely made me closer to God. Um, working at the school, I mean, you see a lot of stuff. Uh, you know, but when you see people's brokenness and things like that, like, you know, a uh, priest always like, you know, you're, you're seeing God, you're seeing the beautiful things about them just because, you know, it may not look beautiful, like, doesn't mean it's not. And so just having that mindset has really, really helped me. Uh, I think it was last week, our missionaries that are about to go abroad actually had their commissioning mass. and. During that, they actually said their mission statements, so basically what, why they're doing it, what they're going to do once they go abroad. And that moment was just super, super impactful for me, like, because I think it's easy in the distracted world to be like, kind of forget why you're here, you know, you're just going through the motions, you're like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go to work every day, wake up at 6 every day, go to work, have a good time. But then hearing them all say why they're about to go abroad, you know, something I, I would never do, way too afraid, kudos to Amanda, like, but just hearing that, I mean, it reminded me, you know, why I'm here, and I think it was, it was a very powerful moment, and it helps me reflect and then remember what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. Um, I would say for me, um, the past two years, I've never, I've never felt as close to God as I have in my time on mission um, in Guatemala, um, and I think that's for a few different reasons. Um, the first is that I really feel like I'm living out my vocation. Uh, I think we, we talk a lot about um, the vocation to the priesthood or to religious life or to, to family life. And I think those are so important. Those vocations are so like crucial to our church. But um, as, a, as a missioner, this is my vocation. This is what I'm called to do right now in my life. Um, and that has allowed me to open up so much um, with my relationship and um, with God in my prayer life um, and the way that I relate to others. Um, and then the second reason I think is that I've been able to live my most authentic self on mission. Um, so I think one, working with kids is a really great way to do that. Um, I don't feel embarrassed when they laugh at me for doing stupid things or the fact that I can't roll my R's so my Spanish isn't perfect. Um, and that's okay. But like this is me and this is exactly who I am. Um, and that's what God intended for all of us is to really live out our authentic selves. And um, so mission has been a really great thing for me um, in terms of my relationship with God. Um, I think I'm definitely still working on that. I feel like doing this has made me realize I, I, we were one of those insane Catholic families that like stayed up till midnight if we hadn't said the rosary. Like all the kids kneel down, grab your rosary, pray the rosary now. Like, you know, we went to mass every Sunday and all of those great things and confession every two weeks. You know, okay, exaggeration. But, you know, we did all of those things and all the time and all those prayers and et cetera, et cetera. And just doing this has made me realize 
say yes, those things are very important, but how much work I need to do and how stubborn I am myself for thinking that it's all together and I realize that like I cannot control some of these things like you know, or some of these good guys that come in, you know, not wanting help. And I'm like, well, what's wrong with you? And it's, I realize that, wow, what's wrong with me? Like, what happened to actually, like, having charity and things like that? But realizing that I really need to actually work on myself and be open to God. And I think that's, you know, hopefully we'll be better by next July when we're done. But anyway. <laughs> We might be at time. Yeah. yeah. Actually, can you quickly say, when people have asked about the short term mission that you offer, sure. Is there a sign up for that? Or where, where would that yeah. be? You can find more information on our website at org, And there's information about short term mission trips. Um, we are looking at scheduling one for Bolivia in summer. Um, it'll probably be about July. Um, Dates are tentative because we're still confirming with our site partner in Carmen Pampa, but if, if we have interest from people, we are much more likely to run it and to really get something on the calendar. Um, so in the past, we've gone to Bolivia for mission trips. Um, we also went to Tanzania. That was before my time. Um, we also host short-term trips at our volunteer house in D.C which I know wouldn't necessarily feel very excited for all of you, but um, if you know, uh, if you have connections with Catholic colleges or Catholic campus ministries at non-Catholic colleges, and there's a group of students who might be interested in learning about the intersection of poverty and health, or poverty and nutrition, or women's issues and poverty, uh, we can design a short-term program that's just based at our volunteer house in DC and puts you in contact with different organizations that are helping um, people experiencing poverty. All right, we'll put them around the boss. Thank you. Tales of a Modern Day Tiny Tim. So a little bit of Advent encouragement here for Christmas. 